today's show, I'm delighted to be joined by the author, Michael Ronin. Hi, Michael. It's great to be back. Thank you. Thank you very much. So um, Michael is a cross-paradigmatic cultural commentator, and he pulls together the threads of an unravelling world to provide clarity amidst all the crazy. And if there is a single objective truth, then it is found between many different trains of thought. Therefore, Michael generates, generates insights that shed light onto that truth from diverse angles and viewpoints. Michael is also deeply concerned with society uh, and our shared journey together as a species, and in particular, how it affects men. Even in Western cultures, society is not fit for human consumption. It in no way works for the benefit of the vast majority of people. And Michael is both fascinated and disturbed about how the world is screwed up, how it got to be screwed up, um, and how and how we can uh, play our part in creating the best conditions for people and the planet. So thank you very much for joining us on Discerning Consciousness um, today, Michael. I hope all is well with you uh, across the pond there in the United States. Yes, just for your listeners who might not realise it, I, I do have an English accent. I was born in England. Uh, I grew up in Essex and lived in London for quite some time. And uh, but I'm now uh, living in uh, the United States of America. Excellent. And uh, today I believe we're going to be talking about spiritual activism and two words that don't normally go together, do they? The idea of political activism and uh, spirituality, we would think are kind of poles apart, really, wouldn't we? Yes, it's true. Um, and that's something I addressed in my book. Um, I, I've devoted myself both to the inward path and the outward path. Um, mm. So if you, if your readers would um, indulge me, I'd love to read a, a passage from the book. Yes, of course. Go ahead, Michael. Realising and questioning unhelpful thought patterns, belief structures and programmes in oneself, which had previously been operating subconsciously, is just half the work of the conscious man. Becoming conscious to your interior workings brings insights and clarity to your programs and patternings in exactly the same way that becoming conscious of the external world brings insights and clarity to how the world works. In both cases, you become more and more able to see things as they really are. Expanding one's consciousness inwardly better improves one's ability to engage in the, in the task of expanding consciousness outwardly. Once the grip of one's psychological narrative has been sufficiently loosened, it then becomes much more difficult to pull the wool over your eyes. And at that point, you begin to see the matrix. Thank you for that. Most spiritually minded people focus on the inward expansions of their consciousness. Yet the outward expansion exists on the same continuum. Both are of equal importance and both are vital in one's journey. A lot of people have an unbalanced approach. There are those who are slavishly interested in government and politics, yet regard personal exploration of their inner realms as an exercise in new agey bullshit. Then there are those people who are more interested in spirituality and enlightenment, 
for whom the outer world is more like a dream, and for whom big stage politics is totally three-dimensional man. Yeah. Yet objectively speaking, they share the same ideals, end quote. Oh, thank you for that, Michael. Sorry for interrupting before. Oh, I think that's um, that's a very nice, very nice summary to introduce uh, our, our podcast today. And it, it brings to mind, and I'm not sure who came up with this kind of phrase, but the whole notion of um, the personal is political and the political is, is personal. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to uh, explore um, you know, get to grips with what spiritual activism um, actually means, because in many ways, um, the whole uh, reason why I set up discerning consciousness was to bridge that gap between the right. kind of spiritual and the political and the whole kind of spiritual, sorry, the sort of truth uh, uh, conspiracy uh, realm and uh, kind of how that relates to spirituality as well. And um, yeah, because not many people are doing it out there. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to our podcast today. Definitely. And that's one of the main reasons I love Discerning Discerning Consciousness podcast is because, um, as one of my teachers used to say, everything is in everything. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can't actually separate and um, compartmentalize things. Um, mm. you just be spiritual, just be political. So, um, so in terms of the title of our talk today, Spiritual Activism or uh, or sacred activism, whatever you, people would like to call it. Um, you know, I was thinking about this and I don't really have a good definition of, of what that means. And But the closest I can get to is that it's about connecting one's personal spiritual growth with societal action. You know, at, it, at its most basic, that's what it is. It's connecting personal spiritual growth with societal action. Mm. But of course, the, the devil is in the detail always. So a, a spiritual activist has to, has a personal set of sacred values which speak to the fundamental connection between, um, to borrow from Soren Kierkegaard, the, the finite and the infinite. Um, so the finite, I should say, corresponds to that which is earthly, to the concrete here and now, to one's own reality as a sentient being in this physical plane. And so the, the the infinite corresponds to the divine. That's how he framed it. So in terms of the finite, um, we, one might ask, what, what are the qualities and rights to personhood that every human being is born with? OK, what is our birthright? Mm -hmm. Those things that identify what, what are those things that identify the human spirit animal as having a core essence a divine essence or a divine spark to borrow from gnosticism <laughs> which i know you're familiar with yeah. um now for me personally I, I find it helpful to ask myself the question uh what is it that breaks my heart looking at the world what is it that breaks my heart and this taps into the essential principle, the uh, essential nugget within you that resonates with some injustice in the finite, in the material world. This is what you align yourself with at the level of the heart. And this is what resonates with the deepest core of your being. Uh, for me, it's uh, 
it's seeing wasted potential. That's what breaks my heart, seeing how people's lives are constrained because of the upbringing and conditioning they receive from their parents or their teachers or being born on the wrong side of the tracks. And then also the, the way the world is shaped to repress and deny and constrain the fullest expression of our humanity and our true natures. You know, it's, in other words, who we are at our core, the best version of ourselves that are, that's been denied the right to flourish because of um, because the ruling elite believe in power, domination and profit above the needs of people and planet. And so they've shaped, um, they developed a, con a control system accordingly. Um, or even, so there's that. Uh, there's also social norms and expectations and the narratives that are out there, the narratives that mass man um, imbibes in, in into himself, which demand compliance and conformity. And that's my path. That's what breaks my heart. That's me. But, you know, for, for some it might be animal cruelty or homelessness or poverty or um environmental degradation or sickness or disease or whatever it might be i think at its core like you're talking about here michael is is what motivates people towards um activism or wanting to change the world is this sense of injustice and that comes um that comes in many forms uh, i know from me personally i think it was um when i got into kind of conspiracy type narratives and alternative histories and things like that was the sense of deception the, yeah. the level of the lies and the deceit and just how you know millions of people are living their lives completely unaware of this yeah. sort of information that I was kind of consuming and that was the horror of the situation for me almost mm. like this collective blindness if you like mm. at, at, at the sort of the horror of the situation that we're in and um yeah and and and, it, and enmeshed within that or part of that i should say was this idea of how people are not uh, in many circumstances able to live true to themselves and that their potential is yeah unfairly if you like unfairly being um being squashed for want of a better phrase yeah mm. so i think we're going to look um obviously it'll be helpful to look at some of the traps to be aware of um, in terms of this idea of walking, shall we say, uh, a kind of sense of spiritual activism, because I mean mm. we're all kind of active in the world, aren't we? On, on, on kind of some sort of level, even if we're not trying to pull down, you know, the citadels, so to speak. So, and obviously there are some sort of archetypal kind of ways in which people can be taken off track, so to speak. I think. Yeah, it's pretty much because they haven't yet come into a realization of their true nature yeah um so true nature is something i explore in my book it, it's it's essentially it's our original instructions uh what we're coded to be just like the the oak tree the the acorn is encoded to become an oak tree it's not encoded to become an elm tree mm. so um we all have a particular true nature that is encoded into us and these the, these instructions within us direct us to give our greatest gift to the world. 
And the question is not, you know, what should I do with my life? But really the question I, I think is, is what is nature trying to do with me? Like, like the acorn, you know, what, what is nature trying to do with the acorn? Well, it's trying to turn it into an oak tree. So, you, or you could say, what is the divine trying to do with me? What is it that you have inside you that is burning to get out? What is it that is trying to be born by you? So to do that, you need to feel inside as to what it is you really, really want. And that's your soul talking to you. And then honor yourself by knowing what you really want. You pay honor to yourself by understanding who you are so that you can come alive. So this, this first step is essential before establishing um, a, a connection with the divine. We need to undergo a journey of our own of establishing this connection with ourselves, with the essence of who we are and with what is our true nature. And, and after that, once we start to unbelieve our conditioning and we unlearn our limitations, we can then act with more clarity and competence and having understood and come to terms with who we are as individuals, who we are as a collection of individuals, in other words, our society, we then stand well to take action and become sacred activists or spiritual activists from having integrated and surmounted our conditionings and programmings and shadow aspects. Um, this allows us to act with integrity rather than that, you know, as rather than hooligans who want to thump their tubs and shout out their prejudices and biases of, because, you know, they never did their inner work and they believe themselves to be entitled to have a voice in shaping the world around them. And we can see this all around us on Twitter and Facebook, sure. as well as on, as well as on both sides of the aisle um, or across the floor, as we say in the States. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, I, I think there are three fundamental questions that we could ask ourselves here. The, the first is, is what, what is it you love? In other, so that derives from what is it that breaks my heart? So what is it you love? What are you deeply passionate about? And the second question then is, what is my true nature? What, what, what is it I'm encoded for? And from that derives my gift or my talent, my offering. Um, and taking that perspective, the third thing is then, well, okay, what is it that the world needs or humanity needs or the planet in some sense? And you, you mesh those together. And that's the first step to take um, in terms of sacred activism uh, you could also say that this is um, that there is a tipping point when all the suffering in our lives and in the wider world seems too much to bear. That is when the spiritual activist is born. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that, Michael. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that the audience can all think of their own particular examples of uh, unconscious activism 
and we've seen it haven't we numerous times of um, activists or campaigners sticking themselves to buildings or motorways or um, whatever it whatever it might be and um, of course that like you've been saying that stems from the fact that they haven't done the inner work and they haven't understood their true nature and and in and in many ways as we know with groups like extinction rebellion the government and the controlling powers are quite happy for, for people to travel down that particular unconscious path of behavior because it furthers their their sort of secret agendas as well um, so we, we do see a lot don't we of what i would describe as unconscious activism yeah ego driven if you want to call it activism or, it, or, or even personal activism, because um, I think a lot of I think what you're kind of alluding to as well in your description of true nature is it's not just about what we want from the world. It's how our actions and our activism, activism, sorry, contributes towards a collective greater, greater good as well. I think that's what yeah. distinguishes spiritual activism and, you know, more unconscious forms of activism as well. Sorry. Yeah, that's quite right. Yeah, the the. Um... It kind of puts me in mind. So take, taking it to the extreme, um, you know, the people who act unconsciously. Um, I, I think the first thing to say on this path is, it, well, the first thing to do is to test yourself. It's important even for a spiritual person to be skeptical about their connection with the divine or of having had, I don't know, divine revelations of some sort. Because human beings are incredibly self-deceptive. I mean, just look at all the people who fall under the spell of cult leaders like Charles Manson or James Jones. Um, or those who come up with a spiritual rationalization for interacting with the world in ways which are dysfunctional, like schizophrenics. Or those who have psychotic disorders. You know, just because we declare ourselves to be spiritual activists doesn't make us right. Mm. We have to test ourselves because um, faith, faith is an uninvestigated acceptance of that which is handed down by an authority, um, a spiritual authority potentially. But, you know, I found that because of the level of dis disinformation, and, you know, let's be frank, bullshit that's <laughs> out there. It's been necessary to develop a skeptical mind. And I think this serves this spiritual activist because skepticism isn't pessimism. Skepticism is an openness. It's actually an openness to the possibility that the authority might be right and it might be wrong. If your holy book tells you that it's okay to stab Salman Rushdie in the neck, then perhaps you should question your faith and not be a spiritual activist. Mm. Yeah, yeah, of course, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the other thing I just wanted to add to my last point. Thank you for that, Michael. Um, I don't want to give this impression of, you know, sometimes I think it's direct action is important. I don't want to come across like I'm just or we are collectively promoting passivity um, because sometimes as we saw during uh during the whole covid psyop sometimes when the the state and the health authorities um are, are threatening people's individual lives and liberties sometimes there is a call to action or even a call to arms 
as you'll know about in the United States, you still have that that option. And, you know, in the last few days, it's come to light that the government are now no longer recommending the fake vax for children under 12. So maybe, you know, those uh, parents who chose to picket their schools or the vaccination centres or wherever, maybe they were right in their actions. So, yeah, I just want to, it's important that we kind of don't throw the baby out uh, with the bathwater and that we just obviously be aware of conscious activism and conscious action, but by the same token, you know, not, not fall into the trap of just thinking that everything's going to sort itself out through no action on our part. I mean, it's just, it's, again, dare, dare I say, it comes back to discernment, Michael. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. You get what you accept is really, I yeah. think, um, and those those people who are, you know, protesting um, against vaccinating kids under 12 and and uh, in the USA, it was um, school boards who are pushing this. Um, mm. You know, that's a kind of secular activism, uh, yeah. although, you know, many of them, I'm sure, are very spiritual as well. Um, and I guess, you know, there there is. I'm thinking about the, the ego needs of a spiritual activist I, I, I would call it this there is this ravenousness of the spiritual ego which wants more which wants recognition uh, which wants to be seen and acknowledged as being virtuous and brave and divinely inspired um, so you know that that is clearly an ego-driven individual and for many activists their activism is a form of paternalism, I would say, in that they're jumping in there to solve a problem for somebody. Mm. It might be, um, just just thinking of an example, uh, it might be putting in a well in a small African village, let's say. You know, seemingly this, this might be perceived as respecting and empowering other people's health and humanity. Um, it's certainly probably a very good thing to do, but there might also be a hidden egoic reason to uh, grace these poor people with the largesse that that we offer. That you know they they see us coming as bearing a blessing, like an angel in their midst. <laughs> um, you know we have sometimes sometimes we we have these hidden and more base motivations. So we need a an internal investigation. Uh, there is a self-cleaning process for the spiritual act activist that needs to be undertaken if we're to claim that mantle um, in how we penetrate the world, to penetrate the world with a sacred intent. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Here's another one that comes to mind. Virtue signaling. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm sure, sure many of your listeners will have heard this term. Um, it's mostly used as a cheap slur against social justice warriors, but sure. you know, uh, um, I think there's nuance here. I can see both sides of this because those people who wield this slur, I think also would do well to examine the scorn and the contempt that they have within them. But the thing is, you know, there, there is a degree of truth in what they say. It's true. You know, what... But, and what does what does it really mean? What is virtue signaling? What does that really mean? Well, it's where on the face of it, one's actions and words appear to be virtuous, 
but they're signaling their virtue for the approval of others, for social prestige. Um, but virtue has to be cultivated. It has to be earned. Virtue has to be underwritten with wisdom. And this is where the mind explicates and the heart implicates, which is something I wrote about in my book. And just just to briefly say what I'm what I mean is that um, that the mind makes sense of things. It explains things. It interprets things. It so that's explicates, and the heart implicates, which means basically to connect intimately with the world around us. So there has to be this marriage between mind, body, and soul. Mm, yeah, I think yeah, that's it's it's I mean part of the journey of life, um, journey of self discovery is to understand that. And I know for many of us, we we kind of either get um, kind of trapped in either one where we're coming too much from the mind. Yeah, and I believe you've spoken about this in your book as well, or or too much from the heart. And um, how I can kind of see this in terms of virtue signaling and um, here in the UK um, we've had a scheme in operation for the last two or three months now called homes for Ukrainian refugees and oh, really? it's actually it's actually comes I mean some might argue that a uh, British kind of family host families uh, some of them might have been doing that you know to impress the neighbours you know look I've got a poor you know war-torn Ukrainian family coming to stay with us and, and what's come to light it's it's kind of like a, it's it's proven to be a, a bit of a mixed bag because in some instances you've got um uh you know a, a instagram influencer coming over from kiev or kiev and she's complaining you know about the quality of english food and wants to go back home or there's you know there's all these kind of vagaries around this scheme uh kind of again and it and it shows the ways in which you know if we're too driven perhaps by the heart in this instance and we haven't actually engaged the mind and thought through the actual you know rational implications then we can kind of go off course really we can you know make decisions that kind of blow up in our face so i think the reason why i've used this example is you have to yeah harmonize the heart and the mind um yeah otherwise we kind of keep making the same mistakes over and over and I'm guilty of that as much as anyone else because it's <laughs> it's a lifelong or yeah. um, you know many lifetime uh, process to harmonize and it's it's at the core of many kind of spiritual schools uh, esoteric yeah. teachings uh, as you well know to harmonize that process well the heart is not wise by itself it's only loving it's not mm. it's not wise it, it cannot make wise decisions it can only sense and intuit which is its power but it it needs to be steered in the right direction by the mind again the the road to hell is paved with good intentions for sure yeah and what does that mean that it means that someone who is operating from the heart with good intentions um and didn't take enough care to think things through you know your your heart will always sense the solution it recognizes when it's been hurt and it recognizes when it expands and by tapping into that heart energy you recognize the way of things the way the world should be an expansive loving energy and you direct you turn yourself and and face yourself in that direction in that kind of expansive loving energy 
space. And then you ask mm -hmm. yourself, how do I get there? And that's where the head comes in. Mm. Yeah, and I think that, thank you for that. I think um, there's this thing, uh, a lot of professional sports people, you see it where they, uh, when they score a goal or they hit a good shot, whatever it might be, they do this gesture to the camera where oh, they yeah. hold up their fingers in a heart kind of shape. Right. So I think society and the controlling powers, all the controlling powers, which we, we know on one level do exist, um, they're quite happy to encourage a sort of society whereby, you know, we are being heart centred, uh, you know, because they can say, well, look, we live in this sort of kindly society. But I think in some sense, um, that can we weaken people and you see it you know don't you how do you feel about that you know it's all about pushing the emotion you know the emotions how so how do you feel about that and I'm so proud and so proud you know so um, it's interesting the way society is being steered steering people more and more down just the heart center if you like but then on the other hand as we saw during the covid debacle we had the whole you know exponents of um, kind of just focusing on the mind with the whole trust the science types you know yeah. the science science right. will save the day where there's no heart so you know the whole poindexter thing you know the whole you know pointy head syndrome <laughs> um so that's encouraged as well of course because it's the other end of the spectrum yeah yeah so it is it, it is interesting to see these things play out in society but also within our own levels of consciousness um as well because I think it is just bringing kind of bringing us back to a point that you said about before I mean I am someone that's you know quick to throw around you know criticism of virtue signaling and woke and I think I have to own some of that might be the fact that as a child I was a very sensitive child I and I was bullied bullied quite a lot and actually I think you know um, maybe that's me saying it kind of in a strange unconscious way oh um, I I would have maybe found life a little bit easier because I would have been protected because I grew up in a time when that didn't exist. You know, this whole area of work and woke, sorry, and protecting everyone's individual needs and wishes. So maybe, you know, my criticism is coming from a recognition that that kind of could have helped me in my own upbringing. So just in, so I think we need to be careful, like you were saying uh, mm. Michael when we throw around barbs because it is just too easy isn't it because it's it's an easy target the whole woke thing as we've spoken about before of course yeah um I was watching Russell Brand's <clears throat> uh, comment about the Queen having died this morning and I think yeah. um, what I what I appreciated was that that you know he had an opportunity to lay into the monarchy and power structure and you know of course he is an he's not a monarchist at all but he gave a a very sensitive, nuanced appraisal of her death. And yeah. whilst I didn't really agree with him um, terming her, t uh, using the term our queen, because she may be his queen, but she's not my queen. <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, I, I very much appreciate that. And, and I think we need more of this in the world. We need less polarization and more civilized conversation. And I think he did a very good job of, of being civilized when, you know, he didn't really accept the premise of that institution in the first place, but recognized that an individual had died and we should ex we should respect as as being a spiritual activist that we cannot 
um, put down one group at the expense of, the, of another. And it's impossible to be a spiritual activist if, you're, if your intention is to benefit one group above another or at the expense of another or to benefit yourself above another covertly, unawarely, unconsciously, without mm. reference to and compassion for the whole of humanity. And the recognition that we are all one, any activism cannot be considered sacred or spiritual or worthy if it disadvantages or excludes or hurts one section of humanity in favor of another. Mm. Uh, just thinking, just an ex as an example, um, you know, I was reading about this recently, uh, going after poachers in Africa who are poaching elephants. Okay, so what that does is it fails to recognize that poachers have families to feed. And by preventing them from earning a living in favor of preserving ivory and elephants only addresses part of the problem. The solution has to be holistic. The solution would be to honor the humans and to honor the elephants simultaneously. Mm. And this might mean looking at, I don't know, how market mechanics drive the desire for ivory and how the same market mechanics also have an adverse impact on poor communities. It might mean a change in value systems where, you know, we have a little more reverence for the natural world and rather than just seeing it as a, a resource or a commodity which is waiting to be exploited. Um, most of the time, what we do is we find a comfortable solution, which, mm. which, which, which screws on to existing modalities, but which then produces unintended consequences later down the line. You know, we don't think it through. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And everyone kind of likes, pardon the pun, sorry, talking about animals. Everyone wants their pound of flesh, so to speak, <laughs> in kind of whatever form uh, it comes in, uh, to be honest. So mm. um, what would you say, Michael, would be, um, just moving the conversation on a little bit here, what would you say are the kind of special qualities that a spiritual activist activists might possess that might mark them out from those that are less conscious as we were talking about before um well there's there's a quote i love and it's in the book uh, by you know the vietnamese vietnamese buddhist monk Thich Nhat han yeah he says um nothing exists by itself alone we all belong to each other we cannot cut reality into pieces my happiness is your happiness my suffering is your suffering. We heal and transform together. Uh, to me, that that's so beautiful. Um, now, now a, a secular understanding of that quote <clears throat> me. might be that, you know, uh, by helping others, we serve the greater good. By doing so, we also help ourselves. It's, it's enlightened self-interest. That's that's a secular perspective, and it's entirely logical and rational. It makes perfect sense. The aim is to produce a more harmonious world where our happiness and fulfillment is a logical extension of that world, which is itself harmonious and optimized for health and well-being. OK, so that would be a secular mindset, and that's quite a worthy one. 
mm. a, a spiritual perspective of that quote would include a love of humanity, a love for the planet, a love for natural processes, a love for the life that inhabits that planet, where we might have the additional conception that essentially I am you and you are me and that we're all part of the same organism. Just like uh, just like one apple on a tree is akin to its neighboring apple because they're both separate. They're both separate. They can see each other, but they they both draw light energy and sap from that tree as a whole. Um, it would be senseless to see themselves as being individual and disconnected, even though that's how it appears if they could see themselves uh, because they have a limited perspective and they can't fully comprehend the picture. Um, another analogy might be the organs in a human body. So imagine if the liver competed with the kidneys for blood mm. because because, you know, they they see themselves as separate and sovereign individuals. Uh, what what would happen if one of them won that battle? Um, <laughs> exactly how victorious would the liver be if the kidneys died? That's quite a pyrrhic victory, yeah, for sure. Yes. <laughs> so um, so it, there's a difference between secular and spiritual, and and the spirit there is a spectrum, um, a continuum rather, I should say a continuum, a spiritual continuum, where mm -hmm. at one end of this um, continuum is the heart open the, the heart centeredness the wholeheartedness of the individual at the other end is the spiritual perspective that um this is a life is an illusion it's a dream and um we're living in a multiverse and and all this sort of thing and and, and my task is simply to be aware and stay present um so at that end of the spectrum, I'm going to say maybe maybe people in the comments could could chat about this, but I would say that that end of the spectrum doesn't promote the kind of mentality that a spiritual activist might have, because my my claim, I guess, is that sacred spiritual activists are heart centered, and they are moved by their alignment with divine love, uh, a force which they can embody and channel into their work on Earth and um, use it, use that energy and be prompted by that energy to improve this world. Then, then there are those who do activist work uh, with a heart commitment, but who would not characterize themselves as spiritual, you know, the secularists. But the thing is, you know, those are good and kind people on the one hand, hopefully. Or, I mean, there are those who wish to virtue signal on the other hand, <laughs> their, their activism is is ego driven. It's a bid for approval. Um, the difference is. The difference is that there is a conscious practice and purpose of those who carry within themselves an awareness of the divine and the sense of being a channel for the expression of the divine spark within them. Yeah, that's a, yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, I think it's important that we uh, are aware 
of this idea of a continuum or a spectrum because otherwise we kind of as we were talking about a little bit earlier you know throwing out um labels and uh, you know criticisms that are uh, unwarranted and with a continuum we can always kind of we can apply it to ourselves as well can't we michael and think well how is my own personal development you know fitting into this kind of scale um if you like i think that can be it can be difficult if we don't have um you know what i'd call how should we say real friends or real kind of like uh, mentors or spiritual guides who can tell us when we're slacking so to speak yeah and uh, running away from ourselves and that, this does i think you know this whole conversation again points to the importance of having someone like that in our lives i mean yes. once upon a time they would have been called spiritual elders and i think that's part of the problem certainly yes. for the younger generation we know they get consumed by globalist culture and all the kind of motifs and then they're sort of lost really they're lost in that world but i think yeah. you know for all of us who are slightly older <laughs> we yeah. definitely need that you know that that guidance but then when we when we many of us have probably um you know delved into various spiritual practices and teachers and met some individuals who you know may well be uh not very helpful or spiritual narcissists for want of a better phrase and then that that puts us off and then we kind of like pull back again completely so it, it can be quite challenging um can't it to kind of um really to just um to just grow uh, yeah. in a kind of conscious way so i've gone off i feel like i've gone off track here a little bit <laughs> no but, that's great um, that's great i love these tangents and it reminds me when you were talking about buddhism earlier that uh you know buddhists have a concept of right action yeah um and i love that because you know, we consider ourselves to be on a on a different path, I guess, or a higher path potentially. There, so if that's the case, then there also has to be a higher obligation, which, you know, in other words, what is our right action? Or what is our conduct? Um, our means have to justify our ends. In other words, we can't conduct ourselves. Everything we, everything we do has to be based on compassion which includes compassion for those who oppose us, for those who are acting in a way which diminishes humanity, um, which is why I very much appreciated Russell Brand's perspective as well, because he did exactly that. Uh, I would say that that is being, that's part of being a spiritual person. Um, you know, back, back, <laughs> um, back in the day when I was a young man, I belonged to the Socialist Workers' Party in London. Um, this, but when I was there, I was very unhappy. The state of mind that they promoted within their rank and file was one of hate. And yeah. every week, every week, the lead headline in the newspaper, the socialist worker newspaper, we would sell them on the street corners and it would always call for some emotional response to the very real oppression that was being identified. You know, it, it might be a headline like smash the BNP. Um, shame and blame Ofsted or uh, what was the other one snakes and leaders which was kind of clever uh, um, yeah. but you know it was the old 3d game of otherizing the enemy that mm. they want they wanted base emotions like rage and hostility and anger and judgment to be the driving force behind their organization, which gave expression to their organization. 
because they understood that 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 energy has a force it's a it's a galvanizing power of gathering enraged human beings together who are lusting for blood and now you know perhaps we can look back at that and say well you know that pr produces a lower vibrational state mm. and looking back at it now i think it was fundamentally flawed and mm. i guess simplistically you could say it wasn't spiritual the motivating force has to come from um a base of positivity and that positivity uh it's it's not what you're against but it's what you're for so so it's no good just like being against um the monarchy or a set of oppressors um oppressive institutions you know as true as all of that might be it's not about being an anti-capitalist or it's not about being an anti-authoritarian anti you know that that's fine that's fine to an extent it's good to recognize that but it's also good to recognize well if not that then what what am i for if not if not anti-war for example then what does that mean um what are you for if not for war and if, if if you're for peace what do you mean by that because peace is not the absence of war mm. peace is the presence of justice and that puts a completely different spin on it yeah i could remember for myself um the kind of hatred and anger i had in the 90s during john major's premiership here in the uk and um under the conservative party and there was all these allegations of sleaze at the time and um, Tory MPs and all of the corruption that was going on. Uh, nothing really changes, but um, um, I, re I remember the, the real visceral hatred I had for the Tories, you know, the Tories, the Tories. Yeah. And some people do stay at that level and um, that's it. You know, they, they stay in the level of sort of um, just identifying the enemy uh, and I think part of this new era we're in on the planet now, which is still in its infancy, I believe, is where we move to a situation where we do need to understand our supposed enemies and we do need to move to a situation whereby we don't necessarily have to agree with them. But by by understanding them, I think that will help to move things, you know, move society in more of a positive kind of direction. I know that sounds like I don't mean to sound like I'm spreading concept of spiritual bypassing, but I've I've lived with the hatred and the rage. And um, when I then transferred that onto like the hatred of the Illuminati or the uh, I don't know whatever group, you know, mm. uh, um, that almost destroyed me because <laughs> I took it to a a whole new different level. And and as you alluded to, Michael, there are certain kind of types of people or attitudes that have developed in the alternative media that you know all we need to do is just um you know all the time call out you know how evil the world economic forum is and all these other groups and i think in a lot of instances this isn't really helpful because the real power does still reside with us and there's a lot of kind of paper tigers i think going on and it just is it is difficult because when you just sit in when you just sit in judgment and you don't encompass understanding, yeah. then there's no real movement. There's no real shift. Uh, and I feel that a lot of us 
are just stuck in the kind of the judgment and we you know like you were talking about it is how do we move on from that and it can be frustrating I know when you you know I've seen online recently and people's reactions to kind of what uh, the Queen's death and everyone's kind of fallen into their own little camp uh, you know how you would expect them kind of to respond it's like oh so here we go again do you know (laughs) what I mean it's yep and and I don't put myself above the fray right (laughs) far from it you know yeah far from it for me to do that anyway that was my point in response no 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 that's a beautiful point that you make because you're you're pointing to a nuance here which is very important for people to understand in that we still have to be confrontational if you're if you're an act if you're a spiritual activist you're confrontational but there's a difference between confronting someone from a, a, a defensive position and approaching them with hostility and bad intent Being confrontational with love in your heart is an entirely different animal. There there is a greater love for the collective good, which which requires that level of confrontation. You need it. If you're simply going to um, espouse a desire for a more peaceful, a more harmonious world and just go with the flow, man, and you're not. If you're not going to take any steps to bring that about, if you're not going to be confrontational, then that's not you're not an activist. You're sitting on the sidelines. Our journey as a as a spiritual activist to get to the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible necessarily means improving that world, creating the conditions for others to improve themselves. And this. By improving others, we recognize that our own condition will be improved in the process and in the outcome. And by making the world a better place, we also make our lives a better place. And this is a form of enlightened self-interest where the more optimized the environment, the more people are empowered by that optimized environment. We improve the world on one hand, and the world then improves us on the other. New levels of consciousness supported by new levels of social improvement, which then supports new levels of consciousness in an ever virtuous circle. Yeah, and I think um, I think that kind of process which you touched on earlier in this particular podcast, I think as we go forward now, um, I think that's that awareness of that process that's happening right now. I think that will grow mm. uh, over time. Well, anyway, I'm hopeful it does. And then once you know, once more and more people realise the link between the micro and the macro, to put it in those terms, or as I said before, you know, the political is personal and personal is political. The more that the more people that become aware of that, I think you know that's when things will will change. But I think still, you know, a lot as I was saying before in these so-called alternative media and truth for conspiracy circles are still stuck in the kind of polarization right and um i think you know the whole kind of that sort of movement for want of a better phrase still needs to mature in many ways um because yes. otherwise yeah. you just you're just a heckler in the stands aren't you yeah. you know yeah. exactly. just shouting at the game on the pitch and you know not having any uh kind of real influence and i've noticed um sorry to bring it back to me again um 
how thank you how the, sort of in recent months i said this on one of my episodes of my audio podcast how um i've noticed a shift in myself in that i'm becoming less and less kind of what's the word um you know in the internet age it's all about the importance of information it's all of, we 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 place so much importance upon information and uh, what is the truth of what's happening so recently obviously there's a big story about trump and his property in florida being raided now i think a year or two years ago i would have been all you know looking at all my favorite online commentators researchers authors and all the rest of it favorite you know youtube channels and other social media sources to find out what's really going on and and my initial response was it wasn't so much i don't care it's like do i actually need to do that no i don't because a lot of these stories they break you know like with the whole q thing and you know allegedly that trump was gonna you know he was still gonna be paraded as the leader on inauguration day and you know <laughs> ha ha biden's yeah. an imposter it would all be revealed and of course that didn't happen but then within a few months people had forgotten about trump and things move on and i think this is part of the whole new energies as well things break stories breaks and then kind of like things move on very very quickly so is there much point in devoting all our time and consciousness to these things and this obsession with information especially if it's the detriment to our, to our own personal lives and what might be going on because i know in the past i've kind of you know you can get addicted to trying to find out the truth and then you know your own personal life's going to shit for want of a better phrase so more and more it's like a calmness and equanimity it's like yes. well actually okay it's an interesting story about trump but moving on right and you know does it really affect me does it really matter i know how the deep state operate we all do we know the inequities of the democrat party or democratic party i should say and their hate and and the political establishment's hatred for trump but do i need to obsess about that mm. you know anyway that's kind of point that i just wanted to make you know how i've kind of been um shifted uh or my perspective has kind of shifted in in recent months well kind of thing so I think we'll um, begin to round things up now, Michael, if that's OK with you. Coming up to the hour yeah. of our discussion about spiritual activism, which is a really interesting conversation. You don't hear many people talk about this subject area, do you? No, you hear them not. talk about kind of activism, but not <clears throat> spiritual or, or sacred activism. Because I believe you wanted to end on a quote. But before we reach that point in today's conversation, was there anything else you wanted to say, Michael? Um, attachment to outcome. Let me talk about that yeah. for a second. Sure. If, uh, I mean, the people who are, come from a Buddhist perspective understand what that means is that if you're attached to an outcome, yeah, um, there's suffering involved. Yeah. <laughs> if you're uh, because what if we don't get it? So, mm. um, and of course we have to contend with that if we're a spiritual activist. You know there is virtue in action regardless of outcome i would suggest so even if we fail and even if we mm. fail it I, it's better to have lived a virtuous life and to have mm. taken action to improve the world even if we fail mm. and there's also forgiveness involved if we don't measure up to the task um, if the forces that we meet are insurmountable 
um, if our inner resources are insufficient and it means not beating ourselves up for not being sufficiently strong or capable or courageous to be the change that we want to see, to make the change that we want to see. We recognize who we are and how we are and we accept that. I accept that in myself. I, I have this mantra which goes, I, I say this to myself regularly. It goes like this. This is where I am. This is the wounding I carry, having lived this life on this earth with these people, with this body, under these circumstances, with, the, with these evolving values and beliefs. This is how all of that affects me in moments as they unfold. And knowing all of this, I love and accept myself as perfectly imperfect, committing myself to stepping towards my higher self, however I might stumble. And so that's my, with, yeah. with, with that philosophy, I, for me anyway, e e even if I'm unsuccessful outwardly, I, I think I can claim to have lived a successful life. I, I, I gave it my best, best shot. So in other words, the path is the way which is not, that's nothing new. <laughs> you know, many yeah. people have said that, but the path is the way. Well, thank you for sharing, um, for sharing that word, those words, some real profound wisdom, but also, you know, rooted in our everyday existence, which I think is really, really important with any um, kind of wisdom that we, that we say to ourselves and, and, and mantras, because it, I agree, Michael, and I'm sure a lot of the audience do that, you know, you think of the forces of the universe and, and existence, um, the chances of all of our wishes being granted for changing the world in our pursuit of spiritual activism are kind of quite minimal, really, aren't they? They're probably so. But if we can, like you said, give it our best shot, you know, and it is the power of intention. And it, and like you were also saying, it is the um, it is the power of action. And we we never know, like, has often been said, um, we never know what sort of our actions and our on our words, the the impact that they have on our, on on people and situations is is often unseen, or or how we might have inspired someone unbeknownst to us. And I know, sorry, these words sound a little bit twee, uh, but often truisms do in a kind of cynical <laughs> age. And we say as we say before, yes. nothing wrong with being cynical. Right. But um, it is. Thank you for that. It is. Um, it is good to always remind ourselves of you know some basic sort of fundamental truths um, mm. at this time in particular as well. Because so I think with the um, nature of the way in which the economy is going and and things like that, with the cost of living crisis and energy crisis across much of the Western world, Europe and Cross your neck of the woods as well in the States. I think many more people are going to be called towards activism as well, aren't they? Yes, indeed. Um, in, in, go ahead. In, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, so I think this idea of gaining an understanding of spiritual activism and conscious activism, if you like, or sacred activism even, is going to become more and more important in, in the coming years because we, we need to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of, you know, the creation of false idols and the way in which the system tries to 
sort of uh, reinvigorate or reinvent itself by steering activists and activism in a certain direction, you know, like, i.e., <laughs> or example, Extinction Rebellion. So I think that's something else that we need to be aware of, isn't it, um, during this time going forward? Yeah, there are many, many, many problems in the world today, and there are so many ways that we might simply be reactive in meeting those problems and those obstacles. Um, but I think it's important not to waste your energy running around putting out fires when we mm. need to actually be focusing on on stopping the guys who are starting the fires. Yeah, <laughs> you sure. know, not 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 you know, not that it's improper or not that it's and not that it's an improper use of time to um you know make Pfizer accountable through the court system if you're a Absolutely. lawyer and, you know if that's what you do if you're a lawyer and that's your calling it's probably a very valuable and worthy attempt however you know it doesn't address the corruption of the court system you're relying on a judge to gavel down in your favor an individual <laughs> and judges who themselves are largely invested in maintaining the status quo and who operate within a legal structure generally designed to protect corporate interests so it 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 may be that you put out the Pfizer fire but a new fire is almost certain to appear somewhere else sure yeah absolutely so um obviously that was your your mantra that you uh, those beautiful words that you shared. So did you want to finish with um, the quote um, from your book? I'd love to. It's actually the, the, the very last paragraph in the book. Um, oh, thank you. It goes like this. As sovereign individuals, we're not compelled to do, to do good in the world. We might cope by keeping our heads down and avoiding the gaze of Sauron breathing a sigh of relief when he plucks someone else from the crowd. Yet resisting evil is a mark of a virtuous life, regardless of outcome. Quote, all we have to do is decide what to do with the time that is given to us, end quote. There are many things we can't do in this world, and we can spend our time dwelling in that fact. However few our options, can we do? What doors are open to walk through? What is meaningful to you? Despite what has happened to our world, despite the missteps of our species and the mistakes made, despite what has been done to us, we still have virtue at our core. We must enlighten ourselves and multiply our effect so that all conscious men and women become more powerful than the manipulated mass man in directing the course of human affairs. Let us begin our enlightenment. Thank you. Very profound and beautiful words. Thank you. Uh, lovely way to finish the show and um, and your obviously your book as well. So on that point, Michael, how can people uh, connect with you and your work and find out more about you. Oh, thank you, Anne. That's very kind. Um, so um, they can go to michaelronin.net, which is my website. Uh, the book that I wrote is Modern Masculinity for the Conscious Man, uh, the oh. subtitle of which is Making Sense in Troubled Times, which is at the where we where we are right now. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so um, 
Yeah, I, I just want to thank you very much for having hosted this series of chats between the two of us. I very much appreciated it. Oh, thank you so much. I really do uh, valued your input and your expertise and your yeah your your knowledge and insight, as I'm sure the uh, audience have as well. So thank you so much, Michael. Uh, I really do appreciate you joining us for uh, today's particular episode of Discerning Consciousness. And thank you all for, for listening. Uh, we hope you've managed to you know, gain something from today's uh, episode of Discerning Consciousness. And uh, yeah, thank you. I will speak to you all again very soon. Bye bye for now. Bye.